0: Blazers fans, Blazers fans, I don't even know what to say. The bad luck for the Blazers continues. Yusuf Nurkic out, knee inflammation. That will be one of the topics I discussed on the Blazer Focus Podcast today, brought to you by Bybart. I am Aaron Fentress, sports writer for the Oregonian, covering the Portland Trail Blazers, who seemingly cannot catch a break. Derek Jones missed a game the other day because of a quad injury, but he should be back Tuesday. That's good news. Then we found out later on. On Monday, that Nurkic would be out with knee inflammation. Now, knee inflammation is not a serious thing. He should be fine. He may be back for Thursday at Utah. But still, the fact that Nurkic missed 32 games with a broken wrist and a calf strain, came back for five games, was on a minutes restriction of 20 minutes per game, and now has knee inflammation, this is one of those things where it makes you just go, oh, what could happen to this team Next. I'll also talk about Norman Powell's impact through five games. Some very positive developments there, especially on offense. However, that three-guard lineup going 6-2, 6-3, 6-3, did not do well against Milwaukee and could have trouble against the Clippers. I'll talk about that. Also, take a look at the bigger picture in the Western Conference, where things sit right now after the Blazers won four in a row, came home, lost to the Bucs, and then destroyed OKC. I'll get to that as well. That's all coming up on the Blazer-focused podcast, brought to you by Byner. So there was some news today with the Blazers, even before Nurkic. The Blazers are hoping to sign TJ Leaf a former first-round pick out of UCLA, a big man, a power forward, about 6'10", drafted in 2015, spent three years with Indiana, only averaged like three points and two rebounds a game, didn't play all that much. I think he made 139 appearances in three seasons, was traded this past offseason to Oklahoma City. They ultimately released him, so he wasn't on a team for a while. That means he has to go through a lengthy uh, NBA protocol a uh, process before he can get on the Blazers. He has to take six COVID tests. He wouldn't join the team until Monday, and he would be on a two-way contract, which, which means he could play in the G League, if that's even the thing right now. I'll be honest with you. I'm not even sure the G League's even playing. I'll have to look into that for you. But he would be on a two-way contract. They also last week signed, or they're planning on signing, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, a former draft pick who never played for the Blazers, got drafted uh, by the Blazers and traded on draft day to the Nets. He signed, or he's going to sign a contract as soon as he clears all the protocols for COVID. That could be as soon as uh Friday. So some depth rolling in for the Blazers. But of course, you know, we hear about the Leaf deal. Sources confirm that to the Oregonian. And then a couple hours later, we hear, even after we talked to Stotts and McCullum during their media sessions on Monday, we learned that Nurkic will not play at the Clippers. So what does this mean? Well, To me, it means they're going to lose that game because without – I shouldn't say that. I mean, Cantor does a good job, but defensively, they're going to be hurting with three-guard lineup, I believe, and then no Nurkic behind them. Cantor will do a fine job. He'll probably go 15 for 15, but that's going to be a tough matchup for the Blazers, especially after what we saw against the Bucks. Now, the Blazers destroyed Oklahoma City on Saturday night. That was just – Pretty sad to actually watch. I kind of, I kind of felt bad for the, for the Thunder, but they're in complete rebuilding mode. So much so that they, they traded away George Hill and they told Al Horford, don't come anymore. We're just not even going to play you. We're going to play all these young guys. And those are two of their best players. And they lost 133 to 85 at the Blazers. But to me, that game's meaningless. It, it just means that the Thunder were completely overmatched. And they weren't necessarily there to win. They're just trying to play young guys and see what happens. Whereas the Blazers were bouncing back from a 127, 109, shellacking at the hands of Milwaukee. That's the game that matters. Because as I've talked about and written about numerous times, this team does not do well against Upper Echelon teams. Their record against Upper Echelon West teams is really not good. They've gotten a couple wins against uh Eastern teams, like they've beaten Philly twice, you know, so they've done decently in that regard. But Milwaukee has pummeled them twice now, and what we saw in that game, what I saw at least, and I think anyone who watched this saw, was the impact of length and height against this Blazers team. When you're playing a lineup that trots out there, Brooke Lopez, who's seven foot, Chris Middleton, who's a small forward, and he's standing 6'8", or 6'7", sorry. And then you have Giannis, who went for 47 points on 18 of 21 shooting. He's 6'11". So you've got those guys out there. So okay, you put Nurkic on Giannis. That's fine. That means you got Covington guarding the seven foot Lopez, or even those guys switch. It doesn't really matter. Either way, the other team's bigger. That means you're going to have Powell probably on Middleton, who's six seven, and then even the point guard, the starting point guard for the Bucks, six three, Drew Holiday. So he's at least you know have a little bit size difference over Lillard, and then you know they they have some other guys off the bench like Bobby Portis comes off the bench at six eight. And they—they just length just looked like it just took its toll on the Blazers. When Blazers players went inside, especially the guards, they met up against much bigger, taller people who were swatting their shots away. Uh, Giannis had three blocks. Uh, Teague had two blocks, and even the ones that weren't blocked were just disrupted. Uh, and then on defense, the Blazers just couldn't really match up. That's one of the reasons why Giannis was eight—he was eighteen for eighteen on two-point field goals, and then he missed three three-pointers. As a team, they shot 40, excuse me, 54.4%, only 31% on threes, but it didn't matter because they scored 50 plus points in the paint compared to 24 for the Blazers. So that demonstrated a, to me, a, a clear example of why the Blazers are going to struggle against taller athletic teams. They just don't match up. And basketball has always been a tall person's sport. There's only so many threes you can shoot and make to make that problem go away. The Blazers are good enough from the outside to stay in games and maybe even win some games. But They're not going to win many against a team that's going to be bigger than them. They shot 39% from three in that game, but they shot 33% on twos. Now, after the game, Coach Stott said, well, you know, we missed some easy shots, some shots we normally make. And he didn't think their height, the Bucks' height, had that much of an impact on the Blazers. I just wasn't sure I bought that. And maybe the Blazers had an off night shooting inside, but I saw a team trying to shoot inside or, you know, middies as McCullum would call them for mid-range shots, trying to do so over just taller, rangier players. And that just wasn't a recipe for success. So now they move on to the Clippers without Nurkic, but that's going to be more trouble, I believe, for the Blazers. First, let's hear what Stotz thinks about the matchup with the Clippers on Tuesday night. I think we got to play our best players and, you know, hopefully uh, Derek will be able to play and give some length. Um, but, you know, we got, we got to play our game and we got to play, play it as well as we can. And um, we have to do what we can to minimize their length and their ability to play one-on-one. So um, look, Dame, CJ, and Norm are going to play. And uh, that's just, that's one of our strengths. And I, Hopefully that, that lineup outplays their lineup. But, you know, we have our roster. They have their roster. And you go from there. Now, Stotts is right. He's got to play his best players. Powell is one of his best five, five players. So he trot him out there. But the question is, how do you survive this matchup issue? Because the Clippers are starting the 6'7 Kawhi Leonard at small forward. Then they've got Markeith Morris, who's also playing forward at 6'8". And then you have... The shooting guard right now is Paul George, who's traditionally a small four. He's six eight. So if you put Covington, who's six seven on Leonard, which makes the most sense. And you have your center canter guarding Zubach, who's seven foot, who's, who, who gets a couple inches on canter. That means, and let's, let's assume you put Lillard on Jackson, Reggie Jackson, the point guard of six two. That means McCullum and Powell are matched up against Morris and George. That's just not, that's just not going to work. Then off the bench, they bring Batum, former Blazer Nicholas Batum at 6'8. And you, I mean, you as the Blazers, you have Derek Jones who's going to play at 6'6, which helps in that regard for when he gets into the game. But not starting him and playing him, you know, 18 minutes as opposed to when he used to play around 30, you're giving up a lot there in size. And so, these are the type of matchup problems that I've always wondered about with this team. Just when they were starting Damon CJ, because you have a small backcourt, now you have a small, sh- a small forward, basically a shooting guard playing small forward in Powell, and it just doesn't seem like it's sustainable for wins against good teams. Now Stotts says, you know, we'll just take each game as they come. Basically, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, he acknowledges at least that there is some matchup issues there, but the only way to get around that is if you were just bombing from from three-point range. Now, the Clippers just lost 101-94 to Denver, but Denver's throwing big guys out there. You got Michael Porter Jr. starting at small forward. He is 6'10". They picked up Aaron Gordon, who started at power forward for them, and he is 6'8". And That's the guy that I think a lot of Blazers fans would have loved the Blazers to get instead of Powell, but he just wasn't attainable because the Blazers didn't have the draft picks to get him, which is what Orlando wanted. And that's because they gave their draft picks to Houston in order to get Covington, which I still believe was a pretty solid move. And also, Denver has Jokic, the MVP candidate. He and Lillard are probably neck and neck right now for the MVP candidate. He's he's 6'11". So they've got three guys out there who are 6'11", 6'10", 6'8", and you've got a bunch of smaller guys out there trying to defend them. That's just not a recipe for success long-term. Now, that said... When they play Utah on Thursday, that'll be a little bit different because Utah has two smaller guards with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. But against teams that have length, the Blazers are going to be in trouble with this lineup. It's going to be fascinating to see how they're able to survive against the better teams. I think it's going to be extremely difficult, and I think we'll see another example of that Tuesday at the Clippers. Alrighty, I've already touched a little bit on the problems facing the Blazers with a three-guard lineup and uh, what that means defensively for this team. But offensively, there's no denying that Powell has added something to this team. He is a more versatile scorer than Gary Trent was. He is older than Gary Trent, so he's more mature, uh, better off the bounce by far, getting to the basket, finishing at the rim. He can do other things as well gives him a little bit more Versatility on defense because of his experience, he can guard different positions, even though he is undersized to guard bigger threes. Trent was as well. But so far, the Blazers are four and one with him. However, that comes with, you know, an asterisk because they've gotten four wins over some pretty bad to mediocre teams. They defeated Orlando, they defeated the Raptors, they defeated Detroit, and they defeated. The Thunder on Saturday, the only winning team they faced with Powell was the Bucks and they got throttled in that game. That said, Powell, through five games with the team, is shooting 45.6% from the field, 11 of 25 on threes, which is 44% and averaging 15.2 points. And he has 17 rebounds and six assists. Now, defensively, even though there's been some issues against, you know, good teams, well, one good team, the Bucks, he has done a pretty good job. I mean, he has got he has 12 steals already, three block shots. He's making an impact statistically, but we'll see what that means moving forward defensively. Now, what are was what he saying about his experience? Well, he, he he told a funny little story. I asked him jokingly actually, if he had to go through some kind of initiation uh for anyone who's ever been a freshman or a new to anything, uh, maybe you're on a team and you got initiated. I remember being semi-initiated back in the day in college. It wasn't anything horrible, but sometimes teams do that. But apparently what they did with him is that – so he, he gets traded on Thursday. He's already in Tampa because the Raptors are playing the season in Tampa because of COVID and the, the border restrictions with Canada. So he makes the trip to Orlando to meet up with the team, and he gets there, and he barely has time to learn much of the playbook – get, you know, all his ducks in a row, so to speak, for the whole changeover. And they tell him before the game, the day before the game, I think it was, that he had to give a speech. Like, out of nowhere, you got to give a speech. <laughs> and he said he was completely nervous. Like, wait, what? I had to give a speech? What are you talking about? But apparently they were just giving him a hard time, messing with him. Uh CJ McCollum said they do that a lot to people, and it was just a joke. You know, Powell has to sort of learn how the team jokes around a lot. They got to break him in, so to speak. But Powell said it was all in good fun and that he he really likes being with these guys. He's heard a lot about the camaraderie on this team that really starts with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum and how everyone gets along. It's a true family atmosphere. And he says now that he's been there, he's, he's actually felt that and he's enjoying that aspect of being with this team. He also says he loves playing with McCollum and Lillard. He likes the fact that now teams can't really focus as much on those two defensively, especially Lillard, because now Lillard can get rid of the ball to not only CJ, but Powell. And he has two players he can get the ball to who are very creative offensively to make other teams pay. Um, now, offensively, though, in terms of learning the offense, Powell said, you know, it's a work in progress. That, you know, he didn't, he hasn't had much time to really absorb a lot because they haven't really had time to practice. They can't really have full, pra- full on practices because they're playing so often. He's learning as he goes. Now, coach Stotz said that he has a certain package of plays that he's comfortable with that they'll run for him and then out of timeouts or change a quarter. They might call a play in the huddle, and th- that way they can explain the play to Powell. But Stotts also pointed out that most of the game, well, about 50% of the game, a little bit over 50%, they don't even run plays. They're just in transition. They're just playing basketball. They're just doing their thing. And that because of Powell's experience, he's really, really good at knowing how to get open, knowing where to be, especially in transition or when the offense is just flowing to play off of Dame and CJ. So that's worked out quite well on offense for them. Here's what McCullum had to say about Powell and what he's brought to the team. Yeah. I've known him from afar for a while now. We got a mutual friend, AJ Diggs, um, who works with him exclusively, um, has worked. I've worked with him in LA and in other cities, he's actually going to China with me. So understanding like how they break down film, how he works. Um, he's just a, the ultimate pro He works extremely hard on this game. Um, he, he plays hard, you know, UCLA guy, four years, um, Second round pick went to the G League. You know, you read the story in the player tribune. You got an understanding of his mentality, understanding the grind has never been given anything. So he has the chip on his shoulder, and um, he's willing to learn. I think that's the that's the, the best part about it. a guy who's been in the league for a long time is still asking questions, uh, wants to know how he can help, and, and wants to make his impact felt. And I think he's done that. He's kind of quiet, still filling everybody out from a personality standpoint. But I think he's 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 been great for us, and uh, I hope he's enjoyed being around our locker room and understanding how we do things because we, we've, we've had a lot of fun. High praise there from McCullum, Appreciating the grind that Powell has gone through to reach this point in, the, in his career. He does have a ring. He won one with Toronto. So that experience factor will certainly help this Blazers team down the stretch. I just wish for the Blazers sake he were 6'8", not 6'3", but he is what he is. They still have Derek Jones who can come play some D as well off the bench we'll see how this plays out for the Blazers the rest of the season. You are listening to the Blazer Focused Podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. Okay, I want to close this edition of the Blazer Focused Podcast brought to you by Buy Mart with a little MVP talk. Things are heating up, man. It's getting wild. That's going to be a crazy race. We all know LeBron James getting hurt. That knocked him down. He probably is out of the running. Joel Embiid has missed a lot of time. He might be out of the running. Those two might have been the two front runners. And, of course, that leaves you with Lillard, Nikola Jokic, and a guy. Well, James Harden's in there, too. We all know that. But a guy I've been warning about and a team I've been warning about, Dallas and Luka Doncic are making a move right now. The Mavericks are moving up the standings, and Doncic is going to pretty soon, I think, be in the top three of the MVP voting. So right now, Lillard is definitely easily a prime candidate. There's no doubt about it. I think it would be fabulous for him to win it. It would be great for the city, even if they don't really have a strong chance of winning the championship. If Damian Lillard can bring an MVP to this town, be the first Blazer to win an MVP since Bill Walton in 1978. That would be amazing. I mean, it, it just absolutely would. The problem is that tough schedule down the road, Lillard's got to pull out some spectacular victories against some good teams. I've said that numerous times. I've written that. They need to beat these good teams to stay in the top six to avoid the plan. in He's going to have to have some huge performances against these really good teams to make that happen. If he does, he'll have a real shot at earning the MVP. We all know what he's done this season so far without Nurkic, without McCullum. That Was spectacular, but at the end of the day, they were 14 and 11 without McCullum. It's not like they were, you know, 20 and 5 without him, they were 14 and 11. That was really good, all things considered. But that was a long time ago, you know. People are going to remember what they see in the next month and a half, that's what's going to matter most. That's what I was telling people when people were calling them MVP when the Blazers were 18 and 10. I'm like, dude, it's February, <laughs> like, you yo. Know- Decide the, the MVP in February. That was a long time ago. That's what have you done for me lately. He needs some big wins like this one that Doncic just got over Utah. Utah is the best record in the NBA. He just went 31 points, eight assists, nine rebounds, and a great game against them to, to lead his team to victory. Six of 11 on threes. I mean, he's just an excellent, excellent player. He showed that tonight. They've won five in, five in a row now, and they're only two games back from the Blazers. They're in seventh place. Two games behind the Trail Blazers. The Blazers could lose their next two games against the Clippers in Utah very easily, especially if Nurk misses both games. Dallas, meanwhile, they've got at Houston, they should smoke them. Then you've got Milwaukee, San Antonio. I could see them losing to Milwaukee and then beating San Antonio. So that puts them in position to get within one game by the end of this week. And if they beat San Antonio and the Blazers fall at home, you know all, all of a sudden it's tied. And you have to be careful because, like I said before, and I'll say it again, Dallas has an easier schedule. They have a stretch coming up where they they play New York, who's actually decent, then Sacramento and Detroit. And then they've got Lakers twice. If the Lakers don't have LeBron and or Davis back, this is April 22nd, April 24th, Dallas is winning both of those games. Then they have Sacramento. Then they have Golden State. Then they have Detroit. Like, it's just super easy for them. Oh, and then Washington. And then Sacramento again. (laughs) It's just a super easy schedule. So the Blazers and Lillard need to be careful. They need to rack up some wins against good teams. Lillard needs to start pumping in some amazing performances against these good teams. Otherwise, I believe Dallas will pass up Portland and Doncic will pass up Lillard for the MVP voting as well. It's already an uphill battle dealing with Jokic because Jokic is doing special things for a center. Like He's doing stuff that's unusual. He's got the most assists. He's averaging the most assists for a center since Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, when you start throwing out things like that since Wilt Chamberlain, <laughs> that shows you, A, you're comparing him to an absolute legend of the game, and B, you're talking about stuff he did back in the 50s and 60s. You have to go back that far for a center to put up the numbers that Jokic is doing at center. Right now, This on the season, he's averaging 8.6 assists at the center position with 11 rebounds. 26 points, is less than Lillard, but he's shooting better from the field, 56%. Better on, on three-pointers, 42.7. And his effective field goal percentage is like 64 or something like that, 63. So that's going to be an uphill battle. If Denver finishes ahead of the Blazers, I think Jokic gets it. If Doncic can reel in both teams, I think Doncic could get it. LeBron, no chance. Embiid, no chance. I think Giannis is going to make a run at it after what he did to the Blazers, especially scoring 47 points on 18 to 21 shooting. I think he still has a shot. If he can rack up some huge games, Harden has a shot. What these things usually come down to is at some point in the last part of the season, someone just goes on a run. They leave their team to, you know, a six game winning streak or they win eight out of nine or something like that. And they just go bonkers. They're putting up 35 points, nine assists, 12 rebounds. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness. They climb up the standings because they're winning so many games. They put themselves in the top four seat in their conference. And everyone's like, yep, that's it. Because it's the last thing you did. It's not what you did in February. It's not what you did in January. It's what you did when seating is on the line, when you're playing big-time teams, and you have to come up with big-time performances. And any, I think Kawhi Leonard could come up with a a string of games like that. And I think Damian Lillard could as well. He's going to need to because right now he's not going to get it. Regardless of the CJ storyline, regardless of the Nurkic storyline, regardless of the fact that, you know, they remained in the top five at one point. Now they're sixth without those two. It's it's impressive. It's great. But other things are happening around the league. So, you know, hey, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, can Lillard go out there and score 45 and lead this team to a victory? That's the type of things he needs to do to get MVP. Telling you right now, because other guys are balling out. Their teams look a little bit better right now. And I think they're going to finish ahead of the Blazers unless Damian Lillard can start putting this team on his back again at a different level. Take it take it up a notch. Do what he did last year when it, there was a stretch where he averaged like 45 points a game. Do what he did in 2018 when they went 13-0 and and he just went absolutely berserk. That's what he might have to do to get the MVP award. All right, Blazers fans. Thanks for listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast brought to you by By March. One quick note, the Blazers are planning to sign forward TJ Leaf. After he clears the NBA's COVID protocols, that could take a week since he was not in the league. Leaf was drafted by Indiana back in 2015, spent three seasons with the Pacers, got released, or season got traded, sorry, to Oklahoma City last fall. They released him. Now he's a free agent, and the Blazers want to bring him in on a two-way contract. That could happen as soon as late or early next week. Excuse me. All right, that's it for the Blazer Focus Podcast. We'll be back shortly. As we track this team down the stretch of the season with a lot of great games coming up. Thanks for listening.